I find myself uh, on Wednesday nights with this urge to um, apologize that I'm taking so much time in Romans 8.28. And I, I, um, I'm beginning to be uh, um, kidded about it. I, I hope they're um, kidding. Um, but guys, again, let me tell you, uh, and I hope that I can convince you of this, this is... This is not just uh, a, um, an average piece of scripture that uh, edifies the soul. This is a promise that God has committed to us that is um, far-reaching, uh, both uh, far-reaching into the depths of our souls. One, one of my heroes, and, and I hope that you'll all get to know this fellow. Uh, it was interesting that Ronnie uh, mentioned him when he was here in the missions conference. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd-Jones is one of my heroes and, um, uh, as he pointed out, was a physician and then left uh, the, uh, the medical world to become a preacher. But um, Lloyd-Jones says, uh, or said, that the greatest sin among Christians, what do you think that is? At least according to Lloyd-Jones. And, and, and let me just say, this is, he's not the final word, but he's, he's closer to it than I am. Um, Lloyd-Jones says the greatest sin among Christians is that they're not happy. (laughs) Think about that. If you're not happy, what does that say about you? It says, says, I don't like the way my life has turned out. I don't like the way my, my career's turned out. I don't like the way my family's turned out. I don't like the way my marriage has turned out. I'm just not happy. I'm sour. Um... You know, the, the, the classic illustration, I guess, is the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He was angry. Angry at what? Because he thought that he had served God in such a way that God owed him certain things, and he didn't get them. And so he's angry, and, and, and uh, the, he watches the father give away lavish gifts to his, this repentant son, and, he's, and you know, it, it makes me mad. It's not supposed to work like that. And so the, the, the Christian is uh, somebody, in, in many instances, that's angry. We're angry. We're, we're just not happy. Discontent. And, and um, if Lloyd-Jones is right in that, that is, that the greatest sin among Christians is that they're not happy, then certainly one of the reasons that they're not happy is because there's just too much difficulty in my life, too much pain, too much trial, yada, 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 yada. You know, and I, I don't like this, and this is not what I signed on for, and... And I, I'm, uh, it makes me not very happy. So, all of that to say, it's important that you believe. And, you know, at that place where only you and God go, it's important that you believe the promise that has made you in Romans 8, verse 28. For we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God are the called according to His purpose. It's important, guys, that we believe that. When, when, uh, when things just don't work out the way we hoped they would. You know? So, I, what I'm trying to do is give you reasons to believe this. I'm trying to give you reasons to believe this promise and take it and clutch it to your breast. Because I'm telling you, it is, it, is, it is great comfort in the dark night of the soul 
this promise. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't think you're going to go to Paul's great treatment of the sovereignty of God in Romans 9. But you might. But one place you can go again and again and again is Romans 8. And, it, and it's like, it, uh, I mean, it seems to me that the Christian church is, yeah, 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 that's a very beautiful rhyme. You know, it's great prose. Um, but believing it is another story, particularly when life just hasn't turned out the way I thought it would or should or God owed me, you know. So, here's the promise, guys. For we know that all things, that's what we're looking at, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm trying to convince you that that's not just religious rhetoric but that that is a truth on which you can hang your hat. Maybe we'll get happier. <laughs> Who knows? Wouldn't that be great? Um, so what, I, what, what we've done thus far um, <laughs> over however many weeks it's been, um, what we've done is I've, I, I gave you one broad um, uh, heading um, to try and explain why we can believe that this is good, that, that these things are good. That not all things are good, but all things work together for good. And, and the first one I gave you uh, and was that in suffering, in pain, that we get uh, reminded or awakened to certain things that perhaps we had forgotten. And then last week I mentioned... There are, I gave you three specifics underneath that. Um, that is, that I get a real view of, um, of myself and, and, and thus my need for humility. The, the great... Um, the, the promise of the Scripture is that grace belongs to the humble and only to them. Uh, it gives me, um, remember, you might recall, a real view of God and my need for Him, and thus how dependent I am, when, boy, when I get independent and think I don't need anybody, you know, I, I mean, that's when things start happening in my life that aren't real pretty. You know, things in my marriage, things in my family, things in my job, when I'm just too big for my britches, because I think, you know, I don't need anybody. And then the third thing that we looked at in terms of the things of things we're reminded in the midst of trial is um, how superficial are our lives. Now, my wife is here tonight, and, and I, you know, I, she wasn't here last week, so I can get away with things, but she knows that I, I make fun of this all the time. I mean, we laugh about it. I, sometimes she laughs. Um, but, you know, the, I told you about the Friends of the Pink Palace. Are you laughing? <laughs> um, you know, how, how do we spend our lives in the Friends of the Pink Palace? What do those people do? You know, my, but, I mean, there's, there's, she's telling me, no, not my wife. No, no, she's not in that agency. Um, uh, no. But, I mean, we can, we can get caught up in all these things that, and all of a sudden pain jars us and reminds us, wait a minute, I'm wasting my time. So that's what we've looked at thus far. What I want to do is add three more tonight. And I, I'm not real sure we're going to get through uh, all three of them. Um, but again, my only concern is that you're getting a little antsy. You know, could you move on to verse 29? Guys, wait until you get to verse 29. We can spend ten weeks on that. 
I mean, look at verse 29. That's got all that stuff about, you know, do we predestine, then we glorify, then we glorify. We can, we can go for days on that thing. But, so we might as well stay here for a while. Um, you know, guys, somebody, um, and I, I don't know who said this, but I, it wasn't me, but it's, he said that faith is the attitude that is willing to submit to God, to, to one whose character I know, but whose ways are obscured in mystery right now. Faith is an attitude that's, that's willing to yield to a God whose character I know, but what he's up to in my life right now, I'm not really sure of. His ways are obscured for the time being. Faith is, or a life of faith is sometimes a great venture, a great venture into the dark. And you don't have all the answers or, or all the explanations. I have to believe that God is good in spite of all of my experience that seems to contradict the fact that I believe that he's good. You give up on that, ladies and gentlemen, and all hope is gone. If you can find somebody to teach you that God is not good or that convince you that he's not, then I'm telling you, uh, pain will, will turn you into a, to a bitter, angry human being. Because if you hadn't got pain, it's just not your turn. It, it, it's, it's coming, and you know that. Um, you know, faith, faith really doesn't mean much until it's something that we're clinging to. I mean, until it's all we got. And it's, uh, it's trial that seems to bring us to that that place. You know, guys, um, you may not like to, for me to say this, but I think it's true. Um, one, one of the best things that could happen to many of us is a healthy dose of pain. You know, it is tragic, I think, that, that trial and pain is so necessary but that's what sin has done to us. Um, but I, I, can, I can assure you this. Um, it's Psalm 119.75 that says, uh, For thou hast afflicted me in faithfulness. You can hold on to that. But something that might be really good for your soul right now. Just a good long drink at a fountain called pain. Be assured that this painful process is not designed to ruin you. It's designed to reshape us. It is not, uh, not going to ruin us. It will reshape us, and that is good. That is a good thing. Now, we come to that, that Roman numeral two. That is, why, why it is good. Um, and the second reason that I think you can hold on to that that promise of 8.28 is true, is that pain, I think, forces us to realize the, the nature of this life. I don't even know how to say that. Uh, forces us to realize uh, the nature um, of this life. Because I'm telling you, we're fascinated by this one. And this is the one we've uh, sunk all our, uh, put all our eggs into. Gang, uh, half of our spiritual troubles arise from the fact that we have become so um, uh, enchanted 
by by earthly concerns. Uh, let, me, let me read you this, guys. You, you know the uh, the parable of the four so, uh, the four soils. You know, the sower goes out. This is in Mark four. The parable goes out. I mean, the, the sower goes out to sow his seed, and, he, and his seed follows on four different places. You know, let me let me just read you about one of those places. Um, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. Now listen to this. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Did you get those three things? Let me read those to you again. This is Mark 4.19. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things Enter in, says Jesus. And as they do, they simply choke it out. All of the life and health and fruitfulness of the Word is choked out. Because we're so concerned about business and social life and on and on and on it goes. And we tend to live for that stuff. And those of us with a little bit of age on us can tell you, maybe, maybe it didn't take that much age, I can tell you that it's dry as dust. You know, um, when I was doing, um, <laughs> I did singles for six years at Central Church, and it was my privilege to do so. I, I loved that job. It was a whole lot easier than this one. Um, I longed for those days of racquetball four days a week. And um, uh, teaching twice, and that's all I had to do. No, no, no meetings to go to, none of that business. But I, I'm telling you, I would sit, and I, and I, I love singles. I'm telling you, uh, they, they, that's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. But, you know, I would listen to them ad nauseum say, if I only had a wife, then. And then I leave doing singles ministry and I, I plan a church and I talk to couples and they say, if I only didn't have a wife, then, or if I had a different wife, or if I had a different husband, or if I had a different job, or if I had, if I had another thousand dollars a month, then. You know, guys, I, I'm not saying that those things aren't pleasurable. That is, a wife, a husband, a job, $1,000 more a month. I'm not saying that those... I'm simply saying, are those the things that give you meaning? Um, tell me, those of you who've got that stuff, did you get meaning out of it? And when you did, how long did that last? When, um, when you begin to try to suck all the meaning out of that particular place in life you were at. I, trial has a way, guys, what I'm saying, it, it has a way of weaning us from all of that stuff. I, I said this before, it culls away. Trial has a way of culling away the insignificant. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult to detach yourself from that stuff when, when all is well, when I'm very successful. But when you're confined to a hospital bed, Then um, tell me how much joy your, uh, your latest gadget is bringing to you. Um, 
you know, why, why is it, my dear brother and sister in Christ, why is it that we tend to think so seldom of heaven and its, and its beauty? Why is that? Well, because I think as this text states, we are so preoccupied with this life, this world, the things that are, that are seen. But, but during this time where somebody called it a surgery of events. Don't you like that? During this surgery of events, our priorities tend to get reorganized. <laughs> we, um, we, we, we find that our pain is... It interrupts and it disrupts and it reorganizes and it and it uh, it rearranges. And I say to you, my dear brother as re- sister, as as reluctant as as we may be to embrace it, and we are. Pain, when rightly received, is one of the Christian's supreme means of grace. Tell me. Tell me this, my dear friend. When did you make the greatest gain spiritually? Tell me about that time. When was it? Was it not during that period where something had blown up? Somewhere, some of them. It is one of the supreme means of grace when, when rightly received. It is, it is one of the ways that God, one of the things that God uses to keep us dissatisfied with this place and, and sustains or at least um, unearths a yearning for something eternal. And anything that makes me think of heaven is good. If it's going to... And again, I say, guys, it is a tragedy to say, you know, it's pain that makes me think of heaven, but all it's just a commentary on how much we love sin. Because I'm telling you, prosperity doesn't make us long for heaven, does it? And, and by the way, guys, p- please, listeners, if I have to choose between poverty and, 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 and um, prosperity, I'll choose prosperity every time. But I can tell you the greatest gains in my soul were not made during prosperity. And I don't think they, um, I, I think you'd have the same testimony. So, uh, um, everything going good in your life? I mean, job's kind of okay. You're kind of hero at the workplace, and health is good. You know, marriage is kind of enjoyable, you know, and kids are doing good. Everything going well. I got some good news for you. <laughs> God is going to rid you of some of that. And He's going to do it so that you will exchange what is dry as dust and won't satisfy for something that will nourish your soul. You know as well as I that joy has a whole lot more to do with who we are than what we have. That's not, I mean, we all know that. So, what is it that helps us rediscover the importance of that? Well, it's pain. Um, anytime you build your life and place your sense of meaning and security in something that can be taken away from you, you are living on a dangerous edge of insecurity because um, eventually it's going to teeter 
Now, and, and let me interject something at this point before we get to number three that um, I think you need to know. Um, <laughs> we might not get to point three. Um, something I think might be well to, to mention now to, to make sure we understand this. Um, much of what we experience by way of difficulty, trial, comes our way because God permits it, like you see in the case and the instance in the story of Job. But it is equally true that in some instances, it's not a case of what God has permitted. It is a case of what God Himself is doing. He's the one. It's not that He permitted something. He's doing it, personally. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. A verse you know. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. I want you to see this, guys, because this is, this is mind-boggling. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles close to you, you can find that real quick. Um, I, I'm just trying to tell you that uh, the, God uses agency sometimes, but sometimes He doesn't use agencies. He does it Himself. Um, a couple of places I want. This is 1 Corinthians 11. This is in the context of um, fencing the table, the Lord's Supper. You know, we try to do that a, a, as, in a kind of a small way at Gracie Van. We don't do it very severely, and that's, I mean, maybe we should. But, uh, but look with me at verse 29. This is 1 Corinthians 11, 29. You know, this is where Paul is instituting the Lord's Supper. Uh, much of this language up beginning at verse 17, you've heard again and again and again in the Lord's Supper. But look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, I, of course, I'm reading from the English Standard Version and some of your versions. And, 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 and some of you sleep. That's a euphemism, ladies and gentlemen. It's not talking about soul sleep or that you're taking a nice nap. It is, as this translation points out, uh, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, uh, uh, drinks judgment on himself. That is why. Many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Do you see what's being said? He is saying that to handle that sacrament inappropriately and, and uh, casually, God sees fit to inflict, uh, what does that say? What weak, ill, and some have died. you think that one's bad, then, then let me plead with you. Don't read Leviticus 26, verses 23 through 26. I was going to do that, but we don't have time. Um, you know, guys, I, we've raised three children, and we've got our scars to prove it. And, um, but um, children are, are prone, I think, to, to conclude that, that parents ought to always be smiling. You know, um, always, you know, doling out. What, where is Jeff Ross? He said he found a, a T-shirt that says, what did, what did it say, Jeff? What is it? The bank is dad. That's a T-shirt that some of us ought to get. Um, you know, I, I go to see my granddaughter, which is in the, you know, the grandfather rule book, and it cost me $2,000. All I want to do 
too grand. I mean, that's, that's no problem. Uh, but, you know, that children, you know, come into the world. They, they get up in the morning and they say, okay, mom and dad, entertain me. That's what you're there for. I mean, aren't you supposed to be entertaining me? Uh, and, and, and if we were to be so audacious as to withhold anything from them, that's a bad thing. Daddy's a bad daddy. You know, daddy's not supposed to do that. But I'm, I'm telling you, any parent in this room would tell you that they know this. And in fact, if you're an employer and you've got employees, you know this. That if we do everything for our employees, or if we do everything for our children, they will never learn anything. So an employer or a parent, there comes times in being an employer or a parent where you just step back and you say, Okay, do it that way. Have you seen the commercial about the, 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 you know, the boss is riding in the passenger seat and the other guy's driving him around? You've seen, and he says, um, don't eat that. And he eats it and he ends up going to the back. You know, he's just got a terrible upset stomach. And he says, don't, don't, don't go there. And then he goes there and he does another bad thing. And, um, but sooner or later, the, the employer says, okay, eat the blasted thing if you want to. Um, I, I'm saying, guys, there are times that God deals with His children like parents deal with theirs. Um, he simply uh, lets you do it so that you will learn something profitable. Years ago, um, I mean, when you know, I, I say this, um, I, I say this jokingly, kind of, you know, but, you know, I, I, you've heard me say years ago, back when we were happy, um, when the children were young, you know, and they're just all so much fun, and, you know, they just wear their smog dresses, and they're just running around the church and just using me. So one of the things that, that Susie did so well is that she tried to make supper time um, rather, you know, from time to time. She didn't do this every night, but, you know, from time to time, she would try to turn it into something that was really celebrative, and um, and we ate in a tree house one night, I remember, and Gracie fell out of the tree house, and uh, um, we would do some things. She would, she would write these little poems and hide the food all over the house, and, and we'd have to figure out the poems and find the food, and well, one on, on several occasions, we would eat by candlelight, and so, um, so one night, you know, there's those candles out there, and Gracie was the oldest, and I forget how old she was, but we were living in Ocala, so she couldn't have been, I don't know, five or six, and and, you know, they're fascinated with that little flame, you know, as they're going down here. And, um, and uh, so, uh, being the meatball that I am, you know, I'm just, if you ever, you know, just pass your finger through the, the flame just real quick. And, and so, Gracie sees Daddy doing that, and she says, um, Hey, Daddy, can I do that? You know what I said, don't you? I said, sure, go ahead. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it was one of those parental prerogatives where you're trying to communicate a, a lasting message so that she won't play with fire later on. And so there was this pain that I inflicted. Because I hate her. You believe that? 
but because I love her. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand that God permits some pain into our lives. On other occasions, He sends it. He does the job Himself. But He always does that for our good. Giving us what we need and not particularly or perhaps what we want, but what, what is so desperately needed. We've got about eight minutes, and I think we can do one more um, if I hurry. Um, um, the, the other, another way that, that um, this is going to sound rather misspoken, but uh, one of the reasons that we can believe that the promise of 828 is indeed a promise of good is that God withholds, uh, withholds stuff for good. And let me explain what I mean. Um, uh, there are periods in the life of the Christian where God Himself turns His back on His people, on His own son, His own daughter. And by His so doing, He increases our appetites for Him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that that is probably foreign to just about every one of you in this room. But I challenge you to go study the book of Psalms. Now, it may not have happened to any of us, but the psalmists are full of it. Where'd you go, God? I mean, I pray in the skies of brass. What's, what's the problem here? When are you coming back? Give me an ear. Come on, God. You know, where have you gone? We get ourselves in situations where we feel we can't find him and then the devil begins to whisper in our ears that he's really not there at all. He doesn't care about you. Um, I forget again who said this. I should have written this down. but He said, true religion is betting one's life that there's a God. Sometimes you've got to do that. In the darkness, when you don't sense anything about His presence, when it seems like He sure doesn't seem to be out there anywhere, true religion is, is banking your soul and your eternity that He is. You know, we sense a dryness or a barrenness in our souls, and so the psalmist asks God, when is He going to come back? Psalm 13, 1, Psalm 30, verse 7. Now, what possible value could there be in, in times such as those? Some of you have heard of um, St. Thomas Aquinas. Well, Aquinas tells a story about a man who had heard about a very special, very prized ox. And so this man decided that he had to have this ox for his own. And so he travels all over the world and he, you know, stays up late at night and he spends his entire fortune and, and giving himself fully to finding this ox and searching for this one prized ox. And it, right at the last of his life, just moments before he dies, he realizes that he's been riding it all along. God has already given us 
the very things that we're looking for. But they're found in Him. And so what He does is withdraws His presence so that we'll value that. You know, you've heard the story, I'm sure. Um, I, Philip Keller tells this story in his book, uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Philip Keller does some good work, uh, so if you, if you want to buy a decent book, the, he, he usually is pretty trustworthy, but he tells a, a story about, and I've told this before, but uh, about a shepherd uh, tending his sheep, and, you know, if he's got a hundred sheep but he's tending and there's one in that, in that flock that's a little bit wayward, you know, he you know, spanks the sheep. By the way, I was on a plane today and a dog ran down the aisle of the plane. I am not lying. Never had that happen to me before. But anyway, we got a little wayward sheep and, uh, um, and you know, spank that sheep and, you know, you, no, no, sheep, don't do that. and Stop it, sheep. And so finally, when you've run out of ways to discipline the sheep, one of the, the final measures that is available to the shepherd is here's what he does. He, he, take, he does. He takes the sheep and he grabs its front leg, and he breaks it. And then he splints the leg, and then he carries it around until the leg heals. And by the time the leg is healed, the sheep is so attached to the shepherd that he would never dream of running away again. God will do that to you, my brother and sister in Christ, so that you will value him. Because we have put thing after thing after thing after thing in the place where he belongs. You know, you, you cut the grass one, one Saturday, you know, and it's July and it's 117 in the shade and you're sweating like a pig and you're filthy dirty and you, and you, you finish up the job and you've done all the edging and all the sweeping and all that business and, and you come into the house with a nice air-conditioned house and you you're, can't wait to get your hands on a tall, cold milkshake. Does that thing slake your thirst? You wouldn't dream of drinking that thing. But we're doing that. We've got these appetites. We've got these hungers. We've got these thirsts for something. And you know what we're trying to slake it with? Something that won't work. And so God... um, orders a set of circumstances so that we will desire Him more. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that there is nothing better than when one of those such periods is over and God smiles at you once again. And I can only tell you that you can't speed up those periods. You can only slow them down. So you can do all you want to, but until God... In fact, I heard Steve Brown say, when you learn to kiss the rod, He will put it away. You know, gang, um, I say to you with a, with a complete measure of candor, there have been two real, really difficult, difficult times in our lives. Poor Susie, she just married the bomb. So when, when, you know, it's like Jonah on the boat, you know, you get on that boat and if Jonah's on the boat and Jonah is the bad boy, you're going down with the boat because you're on the boat with Jonah. Well, gentlemen, your wives married you and when things get bad with us, they get bad for them too because they're on the boat. 
But uh, there have been two real dark periods. One was right after Ocala or during and right after Ocala. The other was right after and around that blasted thing out there, that sanctuary, which I'm delighted we have, but I'm telling you, it was awful. It was awful. I'll never do that again, I'm telling you. You know, if you don't know, we raised money and we didn't use any of those outside gunslingers that come in and get their hands in people's pocket. And so the one that was supposed to be doing all the fundraising was me. That was awful. It was just awful. I don't know why it was awful, but I'm telling you, it was awful. But all that to say, I, I cannot bear the thought of having to repeat either of those experiences. But I cannot imagine my life without them. And that is good. All things, my brother and sister in Christ, all things. As little, as as reluctant as we are to welcome them. When rightly received. ministered by a faithful God. They're not good in themselves. They work together for good. You believe that? Maybe we can get happier. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that your people will find much reason, much cause to celebrate and be happier. Uh, It is, whether it's the greatest sin, it's certainly a sin among us that we're not very happy. Um, And so much of it is our own fault. We have invested in this life as if it is going to fill up our vacuums. And as much as older men and women will try to tell people it won't work, younger men and women are still trying to do it. And some of us who are older, we're still trying to do it too. Have mercy on us, O God. And convince us at the base of our souls that what you're up to, even in the midst of our struggle and our our loneliness, our, our despondency, our dryness, all of it, You're in it. And you're up to our good. Were it any other God than the God who has proved His faithfulness in Christ Jesus, we couldn't believe that. But it is you who have sent a sacrifice for sinners such as I. That God is up to good in all of our lives. Give us reasons to believe that, Father, and by the Holy Spirit implanted in our souls. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.